Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Years ago, H.G. Wells visualized roads such as these in his science fiction fantasies. And today they're a reality. You're listening to The Afternoon Commute with John Adams and Chris Kendall. Welcome to The Afternoon Commute with Chris Kendall and John Adams. Today is May 3rd, 2016. If you'd like to hear previous episodes of The Afternoon Commute, you can go to hoaxbusterscall.com and you'll see those posted up there alongside the most recent episode of Chris's Monday Night Broadcast, the original Hoaxbusters Call. Also posted up there are various articles and videos, some of those original in nature, so make sure you check those out. For any and all things Hoaxbusters, go to hoaxbusterscall.com today. Mr. Kendall, how are you doing today, sir? Good to be with you. I'm doing well. How are you? Beautiful day. Uh, doing doing just fine, pr- cruising the highways of Southern California as I'm usually doing on the afternoon commute, are appropriately 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 yeah named um, podcast here. And if you're joining us for the first time, uh, we welcome you to the podcast. I also want to direct people over to the Hoaxbusters call.com uh, YouTube account. Chris posts uh, stuff up on YouTube. Make sure you check those uh, out as well. And uh, thanks everybody who's a regular listener and uh, keep uh, sending us nice reviews. Uh, we enjoy those. Um, we also enjoy uh, if you uh, leave us nice reviews on iTunes uh, to put it in the vocal pattern of one of my favorite podcasts, Project Moonbase, the mighty iTunes. Isn't that how he says it, Chris? Um, yeah, that sounds like that guy. <laughs> D- DJ Bong Boy. It's free free publicity for them. I, I, I don't know those guys at all, but man, do they do an awesome podcast with great music. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I really like it. Yes. And um, so, yeah, uh, thank you to everybody who uh, sends us uh, nice emails and leaves good reviews. Uh, We have a guest today, as we occasionally do here on the afternoon commute, and she's an author, she's a researcher, and uh, she has a lot of interesting things to talk about, and she's going to share those things with us today. We are glad to have Miss Jamie Hanshaw along with us today. Uh, Ms. Hanshaw, thank you for joining us on the afternoon commute. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. Yes, and um, uh, I was. It was nice to hear that uh, Jamie's actually listened to Hoaxbusters before. So, uh, thank you. Yeah, almost every day, me and Jay listen to it all the time. Oh yes, and. Uh, She's a uh, good friend of Mr. Uh, Dyer over there at jaysanalysis.com, which uh, you can uh, buy uh, your book over at uh, Jay's Analysis, right? 
Yeah, the the very latest one, Hollywood Mind Control, if you go on jaysanalysis.com and you see a picture of a big red and orange book cover with a uh, bikini girl on it with six arms, that's my new book called Hollywood Mind Control. Right. That's cool. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about Hollywood Mind Control and uh, Operation Culture Creation and weird stuff. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, so we, yeah, we, well, you know, you know, Chris and I, we like to talk uh, culture manipulation, culture manufacturing, and you talk a lot about that too. Uh, for the audience members who are not familiar uh, with what you do, can you just kind of sum it up for us before we uh, dip into the facts? Um, sure. I have three books published, and they are called Weird Stuff, Operation Culture Creation. And the first one is um, all about, are you a person or a product? And this is um, geared towards teenagers. It has full-color pictures. It has uh, easy-to-understand articles and graphics that will catch anybody's attention. So, what I really did was wanted to write something that was a tool for people who were learning about all this stuff that they could share this information with their friends in a way that was um, non-threatening. And so it's just something that you can leave out on your coffee table and have them pick it up. And before you know it, they'll be asking you questions about life and the universe and culture. And so it's really just a... Um, a good gateway and segue into opening up these topics with the people that you want to share the information with. Oh, that's good. Um, only one more question along that line. Um, when did you start to become aware of cultural manipulation or manufacturing that you can remember? Uh-huh. Well, um, I like to make a joke that I'm a second generation conspiracy theorist because my mom and dad, um, they were fundamental Christians, but they were very artistic and free thinking. And um, they would take me to, uh, you know, the Bible bookstore and we would rent VHS tapes about the uh, Clinton scandals and black helicopters and chemtrails and all the, the conspiracy things that were going on in the 90s just when this stuff was starting to break out. And so I just kind of followed that thread and I always knew and, and grew up in a uh, household. I was homeschooled, so I also could um, was free to research and learn what I wanted to learn. And so this really helped me in becoming an author and self-published and not, um, you know, being caught up in the mainstream. I did go to college, but that was much later. So uh, it was really, you know, my parents raised me to be a critical thinker and to question everything that we're seeing here in the culture. Did you watch uh, uh, Fletcher? You know who he is? <laughs> no. Who's that? Uh yeah, he had, he was um, he put out uh, a video about Oklahoma City bombing, and then uh, 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 what was it? Yeah, it was uh, what the what was it called? I don't know. But he he, he would put out um, videos where they're along the lines of like um, talking about Iran Contra and uh -huh. uh, Oklahoma City bombing and stuff like that. Yeah, I remember I that. I tried to get Bob Fletcher on. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, he didn't respond. He got shot. Oh, go ahead, Jimmy. I'm sorry, interrupted. Energy you. weapon in his uh, shoulder, something like that. He claims, but uh, yeah. Anyway, 
so, yeah, that's a uh, that's good to know. Didn't you say you you grew up in California? Yes, I did, Southern California. And then when I became an adult, I was a tour guide for um, Los Angeles and Hollywood and Disneyland and really the whole Southwest United States, but mainly focused in LA and Hollywood. So I really know the lay of the land there and a lot of the behind the scenes secrets. And so that's kind of um, where my research goes, because I think that Hollywood is one of the biggest uh, culture creators on the planet today. And so I, I use Hollywood and movies and cartoons and uh, comic books as an illustration um, to show people the the more esoteric side of reality in um, a way that they can understand because everybody knows who Beyonce is, everyone knows who Britney Spears is, so this is a good uh, way to introduce the conspiracies to people because you already have a common thing to talk about. Right, and you said, did you? Did I hear you say that you grew up in San Marino? Santa Maria. Oh, Santa Maria. Oh, okay, I thought it was San Marino. Yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, if if it was San Marino, I'd say you would be aware of the uh, aerospace industry that we talk about so much uh, as well. Um, yeah, so uh, pop culture, uh, this very strange thing. I was thinking about this today, um, especially with. Uh, Chris, on last night's call, he was talking about how um, when you go out to a club nowadays, uh, everybody's staring into the phone at the club, and that would have been something that um, nerds would have done in another time period. Uh-huh. Uh, and now it's accepted as kind of a common thing. And um, and it's interesting how... Uh, like the pop culture, I, I want to talk about this because, like I said, you're um, a little—you're only a little bit younger than me, and so um, we had all these like sub. Uh, like I said, the guys were getting into this little uh, last night, and um, you have all these like subdivided uh, sectors that used to exist, where you have the nerds and the jocks and all that type of stuff, right? And the movies themselves reflected that uh, division that had been created uh, from the 1950s uh, films and then on downward, you know, into films like, you know, the John Hughes stuff. And a lot of that has been kind of done away with because you have like a universal type pop culture now that is all encompassing and all appealing uh, have have you noticed this where it's uh, where like um, I'm not saying those divisions in the prior time were good. Those are largely set up by the school system and uh, a place where you can have a type of um, class system amongst kids with you know preppy geeks and all that type of stuff. But I think a lot of that stuff is kind of being done away with, and they do away with it through pop culture, and it's. Instead of doing away with uh, those divisions and putting it into something good, now you're kind of seeing this where uh, it's, for lack of a better word, it's kind of like uh, post-modernist teenage pop culture. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that, that's interesting that you brought up the screens at the club because on the cover of my first book, I have this uh, sorcerer because part of my work is um, trying to prove that pretty much humanity is under a spell. Um, and you can prove this with the definitions of magic and sorcery, and it's all in my book. But I have a sorcerer who is sort of enchanting um, a couple little kids with a robot made of iPads and iPhones. And what I've noticed um, in the the kids' aisles at, at the you know department stores and stuff is um, when they are learning everything is on a screen, right? They have a, a leapfrog or a, they learn to read on a, a, a screen. And the cartridges that you can get for the different uh, learning tools are all corporate licensed character products. So this is all Disney and Nickelodeon and just a couple other um, corporate, uh, you know, conglomerates that they are basically raising your children by SpongeBob and Mickey Mouse, right? And so it all leads to kind of a, a monoculture later on that, and everyone is uh, addicted to the screen and they can't get away from it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen... Yeah, I uh, definitely... That, well, I've been talking about this before where I've over, overheard, you know, people talking... Um, they're gonna get their toddler, like you know, three year old, two two year old, three year old, like um, like a uh, tablet for their birthday, or or it, it's it's people don't really think a lot about you know just handing something like that over to like a really small child and like oh, well you know here you go this will you know keep them entertained for hours you know. Yeah, yeah, and not only that, well, you get in the car and you have a screen right in the back of the headrest that the kids can watch if they're not playing their Nintendo screen or their iPad screen or their, uh, and then they take the little uh, portable iPad into the restaurant and they're watching a movie there in the restaurant. So they're pretty much staring at the screen their entire lives. Yeah, they have yeah, cars I think and, yeah, go ahead, John. Oh, um, no, go, you, you go ahead. I'll say what I got to say after you say it. No, I just, I was just kind of reiterating that. I mean, it's, it's, um, common now for if, if, uh, like newer vehicles, like any kind of van or anything is going to have, uh, like a widescreen TV. So, mm -hmm. yeah, last time my brother was down, they had a, like a brand new van I was checking it out, and it's got widescreen. It's got video game console uh, hookups in the in the back for the kids, and it's just full full blown <laughs> everywhere you go now. You got you got access to the uh, electronic stuff. Yeah, the the um, I think what um, as time goes on, what I, what I was trying to uh, say and not articulating it very well was that. When you have people growing up now, as time goes on, like before, pop culture had to be kind of, had to be kind of uh, fragmented into different areas because there was still the possibility of someone having being born with some sort of uh, inkling of creativity, and so they had to con you know there's there was always going to be people who weren't going to you know kind of filter them 
they would filter themselves out of like mainstream pop culture. Like take uh, yourself, for instance, Jamie. And then um, now it's getting very, it's easier and easier and easier to homogenize uh, people's minds and people's thoughts. So the universal pop culture is all encompassing. And that's, I mean, like just music. And I mean, cause Chris and I talk about music a lot and uh, we were talking about pop music the other day because I unfortunately had to go to a department store to buy uh, a decent pair of pants. And I was listening to some of the music and there's a lot of, uh, Decent, I'd say like the music in and of itself, it's actually sounding a little bit better, but it's kind of like this 80s rehash now where they're kind of rehashing um, the 80s sound, but throwing like, I don't know, there's like, it's like a mix between that and then what, what used to be like club music back when um, we were teenagers is just basically pop music now. So like Lady Gaga, she just sounds like what what uh, club music in the '90s sounds like, and um, and this is popular with everybody. Like even someone who might like uh, punk rock music or something likes Lady Gaga. Like <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Like it it it, uh, it goes through every it, it, like. Um, it's infectious. It is very infectious. And then there's been, um, you know, reports of them um, actually, what was I going to say? Oh, I forgot my thought. I'm sorry. Well, it, the, the thing with this, uh, with, with the pop music is that, um, you well, popular music, right? I mean, they, that's what it's called, but it, it's almost like you're um, you're out of the loop or something if you're if you're not aware of it because there'll be references to it and and things that people might refer to or something that comes out of that that type of stuff. So like uh or you know pop culture in general, so that it's like um it becomes uh sort of being sort of in the know in a way. And then if you're, if you're not up on it, you're kind of out of the loop a bit, you know? And, uh, one thing that comes to mind, it's like, I hear about this all the time and I have like zero familiarity with it is a uh, game of Thrones. I don't like this, this, this show is so incredibly popular that it, I mean, not everybody's talking about it, but it's just something that comes up and it's like, I, I have no clue what that is. And like, I don't, haven't really taken any effort to find out, but um, yeah, like Jamie was saying earlier, it's like a, uh, it, it becomes like a, um, a, a, uh, a way to put, you know, people to, to kind of have an identity around something. Right. Yeah, I remember back in the day, you know, um, I didn't watch a lot of TV, and so I, I didn't really have a lot to talk about with my peers at college until I started watching TV. And, you know, they're like, have you seen Friends? And I'm like, no. And then I had to start watching Friends so I could make some friends so we could have something in common. But definitely, this is something that is uh, uh, in the culture that, you know, is tying people together, but in the wrong way, I think. 
I agree. Let, let me read this real quick. Uh, I wanted to read this quote uh, with uh, include this in the conversation with Jamie. And I, I think I may have read this quote in the past, but it's from a book that I definitely recommend uh, everybody try to get a hold of. It's a fairly rare book. Uh, it's from UNESCO, and it's edited by Margaret Mead. It's called Cultural Patterns and Technical Change. And it's, a, it's, it's this little subsection called Making Technical Change Acceptable. An effective way to encourage the learning of, a new of new behaviors and attitudes is by consistent prompt attachment of some form to satisfaction to them. This may take the form of strengthened integration with one's group or material reward. It is particularly important when the desired change is such that the advantages are slow to materialize. For example, it takes months or even years to appreciate the change in nutrition or to register the effect of a new way of planting seedlings and the increased yield of an orchard. Here, the gap between the new behavior and results, which will not reinforce the behavior until they are fully appreciated, has to be filled in other ways. The pleasure of belonging to a particular social group or the delight in mastering a new skill, which others can admire, can provide immediate rewards. Under conditions of satisfaction, the new behaviors become more deeply rooted, the new interests strengthen, the new purposes reinforce, the new attitudes more alive. The process of acceptance of change is more rapid if simultaneously the old behaviors and attitudes provided uh, a less satisfactory or no, or no satisfaction or meet with disapproval or other punishment. Okay? Right. And so just like what you were saying there uh, with your your friends, you had to alter your behavior to fit in with your peer group. Right. And um, a good example I like to give about, uh, you know, cartoons and uh, actually changing the culture is Donald Duck because prior to World War II, people were not um, really paying their federal income taxes because, it, uh, you know, it wasn't... Um, a law yet and so what they did was make cartoons about donald duck paying his income taxes and even going so far as to show the entire form and how you fill it out and uh you know taxes to beat the axis was a tagline in this disney cartoon called the new spirit and so donald duck says um you know i want to uh be part of the, the war effort and uh, support my country so i'm gonna go pay my federal income tax and this is actually um, one of the biggest um, influences in getting people to start paying their taxes was Donald Duck. Yeah, I remember actually seeing the uh, cartoon when I was a kid. You remember that one, Chris? I saw it on YouTube. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, Donald Duck. I don't. He, he doesn't have that much influence on me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> He's the reason you pay, you started paying your taxes. You're like, Donald Duck pays his taxes. Man, I got to pay my tax. But Donald Duck walks around without any pants on, too. So, I mean. Right. Well, here's something that most people don't know about Disney is that they are full-on been co-opted into the military-industrial complex uh, war efforts. So, when, um, actually, the day after Pearl Harbor was attacked, the government took over Walt Disney Studios and without his permission and they began um, manu or 
producing all kinds of war propaganda cartoons and training cartoons also for the military, and they have never left. So if you think that Disney doesn't have anything to do with the military, then that's pretty crazy because when you go to like Disneyland or Disney World, every ride that you're going to go on is sponsored by like UNESCO uh, sponsors Small World, Siemens sponsors uh, Spaceship Earth at uh, Walt Disney World. Every ride, um, like I said, it has a military corporation behind it and they are putting their messages in there covertly and not so covertly um, to brainwash people when you go into the park and watch the movies. And one of, one of the targets of that was the people who actually worked in the aerospace industry. When they would attend Disneyland, they were presented with Tomorrowland, and it gave the kind of credence that, you know, oh, here's this future utopia we're actually working for, and we've got the, uh, we've got the uh, amusement park to prove it. Uh-huh. And Tomorrowland is actually sponsored by Monsanto, or it was. And so this is a big, ugly, evil corporation that everybody can recognize and get behind. Like, yeah, they are doing the GMOs. They're doing, uh, you know, destroying soil and crops and wildlife and everything like that. Everybody knows Monsanto is bad, but they don't know that Monsanto and Disney are partners. Yeah, pushing scientism like they had the uh, all the references to uh well it's basically encapsulating the idea that you know science is going to solve every problem and then they introduce you to all these different concepts so they have a ride where you go and then it's um gosh what is it called it it you're like inside the molecule and how scientists are making chemical compounds to you know solve every problem and make uh yeah that was the, that was the monsanto ride that's thing. the monsanto one yeah. yeah and they even had like plastic house of the future in tomorrowland sponsored by monsanto where they even had a, a place for your irradiated food stuffs and everything was made of plastic in the house yeah i think i think the uh if i remember correctly in all my um research into uh, architecture i think it, john lautner designed that house for uh, he, he was a student or he was uh he worked for frank lloyd right at one time but i think he designed that montato house is that the house that looks like a uh it's kind of a like a disc shape like a jetson's looking kind of thing isn't it Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where yeah, so, are those houses now? Nobody lives in a house like that. It, no. It, yeah, so know. pay attention next time you go to the theme park and see who is actually talking to you and sponsoring these rides <clears throat> that you're riding. Yeah, that's the other thing Chris and I have talked about is how uh, none of the stuff from the nuclear atomic era ever came into fruition. Nothing ever we we don't we're not walking around in spacesuits and you know um we don't have uh, Rosie the robot no they are trying to make you Rosie the robot is what my books are all about so you go into the uh transhumanist agenda that will be in Culture Creation Part 3. So right now I have um, 1 and 2, and then Hollywood Mind Control is a special edition, kind of a 2.5. But definitely the first book is all about are you um, a person or a product? And then the second one is are you 
free or are you a slave? And so um, following the timeline of a person growing up in America right now, um, on the cover of the first one, I have two little kids watching Donald Duck reading Mein Kampf uh, from that one cartoon where he wakes up and he's a Nazi, right? Uh-huh. On the second cover, I have a princess and a warrior, and this is something I talk a lot about, is the princess warrior programming in Disney is very good at um, fostering this whole princess mentality for the women and the warrior combat mentality hero programming for the boys. And so this is like the teenager phase of their life, and this is all in part two. Are you, you know, what are you? How, how have you grown up, and what is shaping your thinking? And it's pretty much all Disney, Nickelodeon, um, Marvel Comics, which is bought by Disney, uh, Star Wars, which was bought by Disney. So um, I hit Disney heavily because they are pretty much the largest multimedia conglomerate on the planet today. Don't they own just about every media outlet at this point didn't they buy did they not buy time warner or yeah they do they own abc sports they own dimension films miramax films they own magazines they own sports teens they own w magazine jane magazine um touchstone pictures is a subsidiary hollywood pictures uh a and e is disney so just because it doesn't say walt disney uh, they don't own that. It's just like just about everything is 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 under the Disney uh, uh, umbrella corporation, I guess. Yeah, exactly. From cruise lines to you know, uh, they even have a town in Florida called Celebration Florida, which is the the Disney town where you have to live the Disney way, and if you don't put the proper um <clears throat> decorations on your porch for halloween or christmas you can get you know ticketed and things like that so you can pretty much immerse yourself totally and live the disney lifestyle if you so choose that's where they uh, filmed the truman show as well oh is it um, yeah they filmed it in celebration florida which celebration florida uh is a uh, yeah it's a bizarre <laughs> it's a bizarre thing. It's like a, I mean, think about that. It's a, it's a neighborhood owned by Disney. Right. And then if you look, you, you look at it cause you know, uh, I'm sure you've heard Chris and I talk about suburbia quite a bit. Um, Epcot center is actually like a military industrial complex test city. Right. And they, they even admit that, that when they build it, that's what it stands for, Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. Is a part. <laughs> and so now, uh, Target and Walmart City is going up now, right? Like, the whole community is based around shopping at Target, and you can live there, and you can eat there, and you can work there, and your whole life can be wrapped up in this corporate culture. Yeah, we we've talked about that before because there's a Target town in built on Seventh and Figueroa in downtown LA, and um, I, I when I used to work my other job, I would make deliveries there, and yeah, you live in a high rise apartment building, and it's it's like it, you you basically and they have these all over California now. In fact. Um, if I believe the mall that I'm passing right now actually has townhouses built into the mall. Um, 
so yeah, th- this this has been going on for at least ten or twelve years that I can remember um, when you first started seeing this, where um, you started seeing the townhouses being built into the mall, and then, uh, like you said, in in um, and in LA, they actually have it where it's the apartments are built on top of Target. You just live at Target. Right. Yeah, I, well, um, it's awful, yeah, it's, it's awful convenient if you need paper towels. Yeah, you'll never, well, you'll have everything there, right? I mean, you got your, yeah, whatever, whatever you need, whatever household item. Yeah, I was sent, uh, this, this video by a, a listener, Michelle. She, uh, sent me this video about, um, the Disney, well, what they're doing at Disneyland, uh, now I, I mean, it, it's like this. These uh, I don't know if you've seen this, Jamie. This uh, interactive, like um, you go into these play role scenarios in the park where you are a participant in the um, the presentation. There, where you sort of act out a role, like just the the people instead of being like passive observers there's more of like a role playing type um, uh, situation going on. Well, no, I haven't heard of that. Go on. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. And they have now, um, well, they have star Wars town and I don't know if it's called star Wars town, but it's, you know, recreating the star Wars set. And I guess they're working on that or it's nearing completion or it's done. I don't, I'm not sure, but where it's you're it's sort of this immersive it's more of this immersive environments so that's sort of i guess the new trend is this immersive interactive where you're going into the theme park and you're acting out a role and i was thinking um well yeah i mean i can see this like uh where where um people are going there they're they're employees of the park but they're like probably like hardcore star Wars fans or whatever. And they actually live out the movie. Like they're being, they're in the environment and they're wearing the costumes and they're playing the role. And it's kind of a, I guess, cosplay type thing. Mm -hmm. But you know, they were, you know, I mean, they're, it's part of their job, I guess, you know, but, and all that, but it's almost like, um, sort of a, a trend now where you, they're, Maybe there's something in the future that'll be developed or something like that where uh, you'll see these like theme towns or theme like it's, it's almost kind of along the lines of maybe a target town, but it you see what I'm saying where it's like this it's more encouraging people because um, we're already seeing this now and I was already talking about this last night where people so strongly identify with these um, uh, pop culture sub subcultures and all that that they have uh, like meetup groups and stuff like, Oh, Harry Potter meetup group. And we get together and, and reenact Harry Potter scenes. I don't know what they do, but um, like, what, what is uh, all this like leading to? I wonder like uh, if, if there's going to be situations where people don't want to live a quote unquote normal life, they gravitate towards these, like a theme park existence or something like that. Remember, Remember Toffler talks about that in, in the third wave? Um, he actually yeah. talks about immer, immer, 
immersive culture. And then what else he talks about, and I've actually seen this in other futurist type books where, and, and what they're talking about, how the futurist are talking about it is that they're going to use it for school where it's like, Oh, you're going to um, have this like giant screen in the classroom and there's going to be, you know, things hooked up to it to give the smell and the, you know, the feel of whatever it is you're talking about. So if you want to go back to, you know, the dinosaurs or something on the screen, when dinosaurs pop up, it's going to be like 3d imagery. And then there's going to be like, there's going to be like, uh, like mist spraying out of, out of coming out of like part of this uh, apparatus of part with the screen. So you feel like you're there. Have, have you ever seen that? Yeah. Well, basically. Yeah. They do that at the rides of Disneyland where your chair will vibrate at a certain moment or the temperature will change. Or like you said, a smell will come and you will be smelling that. So it's a totally sense immersion into um, something else, a fantasy. And what I talk a lot about um, is Disney's one of their catch phrases is how to capture your imagination. And if you go and study magic and sorcery and occult things, you'll learn that um, people have powers of creation, right? Uh, that's basically what magic is, is taking your imagination and making something in the 3D world. And so what Disney is trying to do is harness that imagination and put it to work for them in creating a world that they want and not a one that you would necessarily like to live in and you're not fostering your own character you are playing out someone else's character like a luke skywalker or a, a cinderella or somebody harnessing creativity for their vision that that's uh civilization in general i think yeah, <laughs> yeah. the uh the um yeah, I heard. I heard they were going to use the phrase "come smell the excitement," but it didn't sound so good. <laughs> you could smell some uh, dinosaur droppings. I always wondered what it's. Yeah. Like. Well, it's interesting when you go on the the dinosaur ride at Epcot Center. That one's sponsored by Exxon Mobil, and it's basically just a commercial for um, fossil fuels and offshore drilling, and why that's important. So right, because oil oil is. Oil is, you know, ground up dinosaurs. That's what I mean. That's we all agree on that, don't we? So a five gallon bucket that I got sitting outside here is is actually dinosaur composite material. <laughs> that is it. That's you've got a bucket of dinosaurs right there. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. <laughs> the world's gonna look completely most, different to me now. Most. Most of the most of the oceans is dinosaur piss. <laughs> to, to quote uh, a listener, anyways, um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think. Uh, Jamie, remember? Uh, and Chris might even remember this. Remember Star Tours? Yeah. When they first started incorporating that ride into uh, Disneyland. I can't remember, but I think that was sponsored by something back way back then, you know, like, um, having to do, having to do with the, uh, you know, the mechanics of how they were getting that to work and having the moving, 
you know, where the whole, uh, basically the whole room moves on like hydraulic lifts and something like that. Right. And, uh, it's interesting too, that, uh, around that same time period, I've, I've, I've talked to Chris about this before. Um, but, um, Kennedy space center, uh, at Cape Canaveral, I've got a, um, I've got an eighties program from there. And they were, uh, they had like, that's like back, it must be 86 or 88, somewhere around there, when they started having the IMAX, uh, the uh, IMAX screens. And they were debuting those things at the, at the Space Center and, uh, in, you know, in the, in the theaters and stuff like that. But it all had to do with space and the idea of, that you were, um, you know, being able to view space like it, as if it was really happening. And um, that's kind of how that Star Tours thing was as well, where it's like a space immersion where, you, and, and it's basically tricking people into uh, the one, the one thing that program was that, that I've, I've joked around about before is that in, in the program, they have a picture of people, watching this uh, this film about space and how it's, how they're going to build cities in space in the future. Mm-hmm. And, and then they're showing you, like, footage from the alleged space station, like, right next to it, and it looks exactly the same. You cannot tell the difference between the supposed fake image and the supposed real image. And it's hilarious because we've all been... Um, immersed in this for so long. And then I'm, I'm doing a little bit of uh, research, uh, reading this book, a blue sky metropolis, um, about how JPL developed CGI technology for the cosmos series with Carl Sagan so that they could get a quote unquote accurate view of space. But see, nobody really knows, knew what space looked like until it was premiered on that television show. Right, and right now I'm thinking of that ride in Epcot called Mission to Mars. Have you seen that one? Yeah, that yeah they have that they have that at Disneyland too. Yeah, so that's that's what they re- that's what they replaced the Monsanto ride with. Mm, and so that's sponsored by Hewlett Packard, the computer company. And when you get in, they slingshot you around the moon and you see uh, a base on the dark side of the moon and you actually see the crater that was named for Jack Parsons on the dark side of the moon. Wow. Interesting. And they we pointed all- out in the ride. Jack Parsons was a, a sorcerer, right? A, a dark occultist. He was. And he was good at faking stuff because that's what, you know, let's get into that. That's what occultism really is about. It's about faking and pulling the wool over people's eyes for the most part. And that's why um, you're seeing a lot of this fakery stuff play itself out as being real because that is the essence of sorcery. Wouldn't you agree? Um, Yeah, in my book, in my first book, I kind of flesh out what is the difference between magic and sorcery. And basically, sorcerers are concerned with mind control and creating robots out of people. And like we were talking about before, harnessing others' creativity to um, propel yourself in the world and get what you want. And one of the best ways uh... is to... 
I was saying everybody. I was just gonna say what, one of one of the best ways. <clears throat> one of the best ways is to is to is the is the fake stuff because you can control the situation if if it's uh, if it's fake if it's a magic act if if it's a magic act as Chris has pointed out so many times uh, with and um, and with his uh, analysis of the prestige and then you know Jay's done a good analysis on the prestige too. That is a controlled situation where you control the magic act. Right. And so a magician would be concerned about himself and his spiritual growth and a sorcerer would um, be delving into more things like mind control. And so we were talking about Jack Parsons and he was in a uh, dark occultist group called the OTO along with L. Ron Hubbard and who has lots of connections to Hollywood through Scientology which is also a, a black magic ritual that's done um, over a long period of time. So Scientology is not legit. I, it, it, that's another example of a, what's, I'm trying to think of that. Uh, that's also in Florida, Scientology. Uh, Clearwater. Clearwater. Yeah. That's like Scientology town. Right. So is Hollywood in a lot of ways too. And so Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard was a student of Aleister Crowley, who I do uh, a ton of research about uh, Crowley and Thelema because I think that's kind of the hidden religion of the 20th century. Hmm. Yeah. What about these films? Like, Star Wars is so unbelievably popular for some reason. I saw the last Star Wars film, and um, I it was uh, basically sort of a remake of the uh, original one. So I remember it's like, well, this is almost like verbatim the whole entire scenario, only it's, it's, it's sort of done. They switched characters around, and they uh, basically did it. But it, it, it still, nevertheless, was like, when it, wasn't it the... Uh, biggest selling blockbuster film to date. And uh, th that has a lot of stuff in it. That's, um, you know, uh, it makes reference to a lot of, uh, you know, Eastern mysticism and stuff like that. It's almost, it's almost like a religion in itself. It's mm -hmm. like a, it's like a type of a religion. I mean, people, there's so many people that are so heavily into the star Wars franchise that, they, you know, surround themselves with the uh, memorabilia in their homes. They uh, watch the films, you know, probably hundreds of times. You know, they, they have the uh, games that immerse you into the environments. They have all, all, all of the, you know, products, the consumer products that go along with it. And um, it, it in, and then, of course, you go online and there's all this stuff that's related to Star Wars and the whole, whole Star Wars, uh, uh, you know, the it's, it's like a like a mythos that's created around it. And people um, it's basically well, it's yeah, it's, like I said, it's like a it's like a religious type cult following with this stuff. And uh, yeah, Disney, I guess, owns Lucasfilms or. It bought that bought the rights to all those films and all that and uh yeah it's just interesting that um 
that it's it's they're you know creating the, this totally immersive environment and world for it and all that and uh it, it, yeah it is like these things are like are like uh were they either substitutes for religions or they're actual religions i don't know what i mean how would you characterize that Oh, definitely. I think that Hollywood and, and this is a sort of religion. And I think um, Star Wars is very popular. I don't know if you've brought this up on your show before, but uh, because um, the story follows the hero cycle as laid out by Joseph Campbell. And this is a story that they've used through antiquity to, um, you know, capture people's imagination. And so you have this boy and his, you know, uh, he goes through the, the entire hero cycle but another thing about star wars is the idea that there are jedis and normal people and you can see this also in harry potter where there are magicians and there are muggles so this is kind of a a falsity that um i talk about in my books that you know uh, the powers of, of magic or creativity is not just reserved for these uh elite people but it's something that everyone has but that it's been um undermined and co-opted by powerful people who try to get you to be the character that they want you to be instead of the person that you need to be. Yeah, that, that's another thing too, is, is, uh, the hero, um, myth. I, th I think that, isn't that the Joseph Campbell book, the hero myth? Mm -hmm. Um, so that, which is funny because it, you, you know, if you, if you go back and watch the Star Wars films, you could technically look at it as um, as Luke Skywalker is is just part of the system. Like he's he's part he's the regeneration of the old system coming into existence. It's, it's like a it's like the you know because if you notice I haven't seen the new Star Wars film so I don't know anything about it but but uh, I remember the last time I watched Star Wars which was I don't know ten years ago maybe a little bit more than that and that's what I I thought about was like oh this this is um, the system itself regenerating itself and it's you know it, you, you see this played out over and over again in you know. Uh, like say the revolutionary war where it's, it's the, it's the system that we live in uh, reinvigorating itself through a new facade. And, um, people get tricked into like Chris is, is pointing out that people get tricked into kind of applying the, the characteristics of these, uh, fictional, uh, fictitious people. Uh, into their own lives, you know, maybe someone might watch Star Wars and get amped up and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go out and kick some butt to you know, tomorrow when I go to work, you know, because, uh, I, I got inspired by watching that movie and or the real interesting, go ahead. I said, or they'll join the military because that's the, or, 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 yeah, absolutely. And, and I think what, um, what happens is is your your source for where you get inspiration and where you get ideas from has now been replaced by mass culture. It's been replaced 
vibe music. I mean, myself included. Uh, back when I was a kid, I used to get inspiration from listening to music and and hearing the lyrics and the songs and thinking like, oh, this really speaks to me, you know. And and uh, it was only you know through time and removing myself uh, from identifying myself with with uh, particulars of um, of culture that you can kind of get past that and not have to look to culture for your inspiration or for your identity. And, um, yeah, it's a very bizarre thing, but, uh, you got anything to add to that? Hello? Yeah. Oh, Oh, did you, were you able to hear John? Yeah. It just cut out for a second. Oh, okay. Um, oh, I, I said, I said, um, I said, uh, yeah. Does anybody have anything to add to that? That what I just said. Um, I do, yeah, definitely. And so this is kind of where we get into the princess warrior. So the point of I think uh, Disneyland and all these movies, um, sports uh, can be included in this as well, is to get people to join the military and back, you know, these um, empire building that. America is so good at. And so you've got the uh, princess programming for the girls. Uh, they all want to be Cinderella or Snow White. And this is cross-generational. This has been going on for 50 years or more, 70 years or more, really. Um, so you get the girls to think that they are, um, you know, the the pinnacle of uh, Life and, and the whole idea of the narcissistic princess, I get whatever I want. If you watch Super Sweet 16, that's the the outcome of this princess programming is what I'm talking about. Or when they get married, they turn into a bridezilla because that's the penultimate uh, experience in their whole life is getting married and the fairy tale wedding. And this is all tied up in, in Disney culture as well. <clears throat> and so you've got the girls um, backing the exploitation of other countries for, uh, you know, the things that they need to be sparkly and, and princess-like. And then you have to have the boys go in and fight overseas and fight here and fight, you know, fight, fight, fight to get everything that the princess wants. Yeah, it sets up like this certain mentality of, inter, you know, interrelationships between men and women, like where there's this um, uh, sort of, defined roles that come out of this out of this programming and and uh yeah it's it has an impact on uh well of course it facilitates breakdown of family and and all that sort of thing where you know people have certain behavioral patterns but they don't know where they're from you know that is but then you know you have to go back to their childhood when they were uh, bathed in all of this uh, uh, programming through these scenarios coming out of cartoons and this uh, these uh, you know uh, scripted out scenarios and if you look into the, like the plot lines a lot of these Disney films and stuff like that uh, I've, I've heard you talk about this before Jamie where it's like they always have a situation where like the, like a mother for some reason always ends up dead or the mother's gone. Mm -hmm. And then there's like this, um, it's, it's sort of, uh, as the, the, the story plays out, it has, you know, things that are related to that or 
They have, um, you know, a scenario where it's uh, the damsel in distress is in need of rescue and the male is, uh, you know, fighting his way to get to her, to save her. And then he gets to the, to the, uh, or this Rapunzel or whatever uh, the scenario, scenario is. And then, um, oh, she's, she's asleep. She's been sleeping through the whole thing. She hasn't had to do anything. And the, and the guy's doing all the, all the heavy lifting and the hard work and everything. And it's kind of like this, I guess, mentality that gets driven into uh, people's minds about kind of how, what a proper uh, uh, way to approach relationships and approach, um, you know, how to conduct yourself in in society or in you know in that in that arena and it's like well what what uh what does that amount what does that amount to as far as you know living in these we're living in this sort of artificially constructed uh, uh environment that's where people get their ideas and thoughts out of from a very young age out of cartoons and stuff on up until, you know, you get into later because now Disney has stuff for, you know, teenagers and then on up. And I've looked at some of this stuff and it's like incredible um, how over the top uh, agenda driven it is where I just happened to look at it. Uh, my nephew was uh, over at my mother's house. And my nephew's there. He's watching TV, sitting there looking at it, just kind of examining it, see what it is. And it's a scenario where, um, so it's it's taking place on a playground at, um, I guess, like a junior high or middle school or what have you. And the and the and the boy is trying to play basketball, and the girl is, of course excellent at basketball she can you know and she is like trying to help him and it's like this complete role reversal type situation and then in one scene in there is actually has the boy uh wearing a dress because i think she told him that like he has to wear a dress in order to improve his shot and he (laughs) just does everything she says so she's just leaning around by the nose and like and it's supposed to be all you know that's all hilarious and funny and then it's a lot of laugh track and everything to it and it's like wow it's just total um yeah conditioning and mind control obviously and and role reversal and everything just to undermine and break down any kind of uh, i you know male identity female identity everything like that that's what's going on with this stuff it's just amazing it used to be when you would go to target and walmart that all the aisles for the girls products and the toys and for young children um the girls were pink princess and even the the entire aisle was painted pink, right? And then for boys, you have the blue hero warrior programming, and it was all Marvel and uh, Star Wars and fighting and even um, WWF and wrestlers and things like that. So you had a clear division where they were trying to take the children in this generation to the, the princess and the warrior. But now... Um, very recently target has um done away with the whole pink and blue paradigm and they've just kind of merged the two together because i think they're going into more of a um transgender transhumanist agenda so this is the the future is that they're not gonna 
want male and female anymore. They just want this um, uh, genderless, you know, robotic transhumanist being. Postmodernist hermaphrodites. Exactly. That's the future. Yep. <laughs> the, um, yeah, uh, one thing we were talking about with Jada on the, uh, when we were on Esoteric Hollywood was um, the movie The Parent Trap. And I was just thinking about that. I keep, I keep thinking about that movie because, uh, you know, Chris and I were talking about the technical thing uh, with the split screen, um, you know, Haley Mills playing herself or playing two different people. And, but I was also thinking about the premise of that movie for the time that it came out in and that Disney had a movie where the parents are divorced. And... Uh, I, I was just thinking about how that movie, I remember because I, I was raised in a, um, in a, my, my parents were uh, Jesus people, um, Calvary Chapel uh, back in the 70s. And so we, were, we really didn't watch Disney uh, either growing up, but like some of the old films were okay. Like, you know, we could watch Parent Trap or Pollyanna or some Mary Poppins. Um, and I was thinking about how that that movie at that time period to to have children watching that and to see actually see divorced parents reflected in the movie, you know, into the culture as being kind of accepted. Uh, what kind of impact that must have had on the culture itself? Because you know, Disney's supposed to be safe, right? It's supposed to be the safe space for everybody to be able to, uh, you know, oh, everybody can watch Disney. You can watch, and and really, it's when when you look back and examine some of the stuff. I remember, like there there was a time period uh, much later on, um, because Christianity had kind of been sucked into the mainstream, and people who uh, were uh, part of uh, main, you know, kind of mainline. A Christian household and things like that. And even my parents, to a certain extent, uh, even did, you know, became more lenient as time went on. And they let my brothers watch, you know, stuff like The Lion King. And which uh, I, I, I absolutely hated most of the Disney stuff, but they, they, let, uh, they used to let my brothers watch The Lion King. And I, I, me and my friends used to joke around about how the lions were gay in that movie. <laughs> and and uh, Chris and I were just talking about you know gay Disney characters and, and there was actually an article about admitting that the Disney characters themselves were gay. Um, I do think that if there's going to be uh, any openly gay cartoons, it's going to come from Disney because they have been on the forefront of the you know the gay pride movement since the very beginning with the gay days at Disney, and I get I. Th- think it's statistically that the number of employees um, that are employed by Disneyland are the on the high end of, you know, them being homosexual. So I definitely think that Disney has been fostering this um, idea that it's very normal and acceptable to, and I don't know, you know, what this has to do with children's movies. I mean, I know, but you know, the general public, I I would think that that'd be cause for question. Like why, 
are they so supportive of this lifestyle? Yeah, there's another thing too is the um, is work. They they even have college courses on all the uh, sex embeds and all the Disney films. Oh yeah. And I mean, I'm sure you can go on YouTube and watch all of the stuff being pointed out in there. I don't understand if that if that's if that's so well known that 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 is happening to where they have college courses on it. You would think in this world where, you know, people actually, you know, take care of business and, you know, get, get the bad guy and all that. If they have college courses on sex embeds in Disney films for kids, uh, you would think people would be uh, doing stuff about that, but I, I guess not. No. Yeah, subliminal messages, that's a um, fun topic. A lot of people enjoy that one, and I do cover that a little bit in Weird Stuff Part 1 about all the different, uh, you know, where you can see the word sex in the smoke in Lion King. And uh, if you watch, what's that movie, The the Rescuers, there's a a shot of a naked lady as they're going down a a ride on a ramp. And um, all these things that... They say that the artists just put in there to be cheeky or whatever, but we know that this is part of the sorcery. No, you know, you know what's funny is um, another one my sisters used to watch was Aladdin. Mm-hmm. And somebody told me this is back then when that movie came out on you know videotape. Uh, somebody somebody passed along the information that there's a scene where he, the the male character says to the female, he says, take off your clothes. Mm. And I remember like, like watching the movie and finding where that part is. And sure enough, as plain as day, like really quickly, the male character says to the female character, take off your clothes. <laughs> it was bizarre. I, I was, that was when I first became aware of that stuff. Yeah. But sometimes I find that the, even the, the overt message of the movie is just as disturbing as, you know, finding the word sex or, or whispered subliminal messages in there, because we were talking about your, or you mentioned how they always kill the mother in a Disney movie. So like Bambi or, um, none of the classical Disney princesses have a mother and, uh, even in the movie Tangled. So that's a good one to watch about this whole death of the mother, because what they're trying to tell you is that when you reach maturity as a woman in your adulthood, then you are no longer desirable. You are no longer relevant. You um, you have no place in um, the family because the in the fairy tale that all these people are following, as soon as the mother or as soon as the, the princess gets married and has a baby, she's no longer part of the story and they kill her off and that's part of the story. So if you're following this, um, the fairy tale lifestyle, there is nowhere to go for a mature woman in her, you know, most powerful phase of her life when she should be raising children and raising women to be women instead of, you know, uh, objectified princesses and so this is why you would get a a woman who would uh, be a bridezilla because this is the most important day of her life and there's really nothing left after that in the fairy tale right yeah like uh really another thing too to include in all this is the um 
consumerist angle on it. Right. It's just, you know, everything is, I've talked about this multiple times. It's like every kind of uh, life event, like a marriage or um, any kind of like holiday or celebration now is just over the top with the going out and eat, like uh, what do they say like Halloween is one of the biggest uh, sales days for merchants um, even it, 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 it rivals Christmas or even surpasses it I think at this point so well, mm-hmm. I I tell a story in um, part two about the first movie I ever saw on the big screen when I was a little kid and that was Land Before Time and that was the movie about you know the little dinosaurs who um, are traveling trying to find water and you know green life and during the course of their travels the mother gets killed by the t-rex and so when i'm seeing this as a little kid i am totally traumatized and crushed and crying in the theater because i'd never seen anything like that before and i'd never seen a cartoon character's mother get killed right in front of him and, and him have to watch her die and so i'm shedding these real tears feeling like uh empathy with this character and then when I get home, I beg my parents to buy me a little foot doll because I had witnessed his trauma and the death of his mother and I felt responsible and I felt like I had to nurture this like part of my psyche that was connected to the little foot. And so I carried this little foot doll around with me for years and years after I had seen him lose his mother just because I'm, I'm trying to like heal this fracture that I had seen. So you have real trauma, real trauma. I did. I did. And I still do. You know, when I watch movies and things, I feel what they're feeling and it's traumatizing to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And little did you know, little did you know that the the fuel that it took to get to the theater was ground up dinosaur bones. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, that is... uh... I mean, think about it. This is kind of a, a side trail, but uh, why don't they market? I mean, Legos are made out of dinosaurs, right? Why don't they market that? Play that up. It's like, oh, did you know that Legos are made out of dinosaurs? It's like, right. Petrochemicals, all dinosaur. Yeah, everything's fossil fuels. It's plastic, huh? But so this is where we get into the whole trauma-based mind control aspect of the cartoons. And this is something I talk a lot about in Weird Stuff is the actual um, MKUltra monarch programs that the government um, had created back in after World War II. And so this isn't just a strategy to sell plush toys to every child who watched Finding Nemo, but it's uh, actually a traumatizing technique and part of the mind control. Well, and then here's something that uh, I know, like people like Landon Honor, they've talked about this a lot. Where it's if you're um, if you're undergoing some kind of traumatic traumatic uh, uh, experience, your critical fac- faculties are put on hold. So when, and I think that's a, that's the explanation for why, like you know, for like an event like 9-11, I think that is, you know, absolutely, if you kind of go back and look at what the scenario that played out, it was absolutely preposterous to the extreme, but it had this visceral impact and this traumatic impact on people. So where, you know, to this day, their critical faculties or uh, have been uh, 
disconnected from them so that they can't process it on an intellectual level. It's all, it's all, it's all emotional based. And, um, so that's why you had to have all the, uh, uh, programming about Osama bin Laden, everything put in immediately. That's why they announced like within what are like a half an hour? It's like, Oh, we know who did it. Osama bin Laden and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, I think the same thing happens in films where, uh, maybe look for after the trauma, uh, traumatic, uh, scene, maybe look, look closely at what comes up following right. and say, what is the message there that is, uh, being embedded after you're, you're taken through this, uh, trauma. Right. And if you go back and watch the kids movies, you'll find that there are incredibly traumatic scenes. Um, I'm thinking of, you brought up Lion King. So he has to watch his father die. Right. When he's killed by Scar and trampled by the wildebeest, the little Simba has to go down and find his dead father in the ravine. And then you have Dumbo, who's separated from his mother and they sing a sad song. It'll bring you to tears. Uh, Bambi, of course, is, you know, one of the classic ones. Finding Nemo has the death of the mother in it. Um, what, uh, Old Yeller, where he has to shoot his own dog. I mean, this isn't... Uh, you know, good for kids to be watching, I don't think. I don't think a lot of kids uh, can really identify with this. Um, it There's a, a reason that it's in the story, and it's for trauma-based mind control. It's not for entertainment or the, the continuation of the dramatic story. I forgot about Old Yeller. Yeah. Isn't that, you know, screwed up? Oh. I can't handle that. I'm not, I can't. Yeah, I, but. yeah. That that the movie sucks, man. That I, that was that's that's a that's an awful movie. Or uh, where the red fern grows. I don't think it was a Disney film, but I remember they show that in school, and I I, I got upset. I was like highly upset about that. But yeah. um, yeah, yeah, what is that about killing the dog? Killing killing the dogs like the. Uh, yeah. Didn't you talk about that too, Chris? About uh, or uh, maybe, or actually, maybe it was Jamie where they talk about uh, they kill the trauma, the people with the trauma mind control get their dog killed after they get attached to it. This is a classic technique of fracturing a child's psyche and torture um, because when they are growing up being trained in this monarch program or the trauma based mind control satanic ritual abuse they will be given a pet to bond with because human beings are frightening and um, all the adults around them are in on the conspiracy and the trauma. So they'll be given an animal to feel safe with and bond with and love and nurture. And then at a certain point, they will be made to kill that pet or they'll be um, have to watch the pet be killed in front of them as part of the, the traumatization. Well, in the context of a film, if you think about you're sitting and you're watching a film uh, or you know, like a child is watching a, a film, maybe at a movie theater and the um, in the social context of going to a movie, like people are sort of isolated because you don't like say stop of. Uh, you know, pause it for a minute and let's talk about what just happened or something like that. Or like, um, like you're saying, you got upset at a scene in a film and, but then the, uh, social norm is to, Oh, well, you know, that's part of, you know, 
watching the film. Like you might cry, you might laugh, whatever, but you're doing it in sort of an isolated context. You're sort of in, even children are kind of alone to process the trauma, to process what they're seeing right? in that social context so that the parents don't have any kind of um, uh, way to, uh, well, I mean, they could take the child out if they say, oh, they're getting too kind of worked up or whatever. That That's a, that's a option, but it, it's not something that is, um, you know, it would be typical. I mean, I've been to, to, films and movies where it, you're going into this like uh oh this movies that i don't uh i don't know i don't normally watch it's like going to a to a movie and you know it's like this horror horror type scenario and then people have like small children in the theater and then um you look over and there's like a somebody has like a like a four year old five year old child and they're like really upset about what's going on in the screen. It's like yeah, this is like way too intense for children, but they will just you know I, I notice they just like sit there you know like because um, that's you know just what you do. But then that's that's I think part of the conditioning and the mind control too. It's like well you know you have to undergo this sort of by yourself you know you're you're kind of in a isolated context right and you know adults don't realize that children have a hard time uh differentiating between fantasy and reality and they are totally immersed in this story and empathizing and identifying with the the main character and what they're going through and they, right, they feel right. like more than adults do and so this is kind of um, something I was talking about in part two with ritual magic. So when you, when a magician is in a ceremony and he's trying to invoke, let's say like the God of Mars or, you know, the God Mars or something, he will wear red, he will have rubies, he will have the incense of Mars, he will have pictures of Mars, he will totally, all his five senses are enveloped with this thing that he's trying to invoke. And so we can take this and look at, uh, you know, a tiny little princess. So she's wearing a princess dress. She has a tiara on her head. She's got a princess wand. She's eating the princess snacks. She's wearing the princess perfume. So all of the five senses um, there are immersed in this entity that they are trying to invoke. And then now you have this... uh augmented reality or virtual reality and i'm sure disney is all over this you know i mean they've already kind of been pioneers in development of this sort of technology and stuff uh, in the rides like we we're talking about it's, it's that is sort of like a precursor to um what you're seeing now on these mobile platforms and stuff where people strap it to their face and they got uh, this immersive experience uh-huh. and yeah, that's just taking it to another level, I guess, where it's... Well, a ride could be a mini trauma. You know, it could, it's a little fright. It's a, a adrenaline rush, a little roller coaster, like you're talking about Star Tours or um, the other little roller coaster that they had there at Disneyland. But definitely when you step off and you're in this state of, I've just been through something, and then that's when they are barraging you with... Uh, ads and ideas as you exit the ride, you'll see more advertising for the things that they are wanting you to look at. 
Yeah, so that you are in a receptive state of mind. Right. right. You're a little bit dissociated, right? Because yeah. of the experience you've just been through. And you're dizzy, a little bit queasy, a little bit uh, overstimulated. Yep. And um, that is sort of the, you know, uh, with Disneyland, I've talked about people this before where, oh, well, you know, I'm going on vacation, we're going to Disneyland, we're taking kids to Disneyland. And you think about um, these theme parks or even like uh, they have the, the Chuck E. Cheese pizza thing where they have the games and the rides and the shows and the and and all the blinking lights and the uh loud noises and and all of that and mini casino yeah it's like a mini casino right yeah and it is this um bombardment of the senses right where you're getting just sort of hammered uh, your 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 sense reality is just being kind of pummeled, and um, what what kind of analog is there in the natural world for a scenario like that? I mean, there's really not anything because you go out into nature, and generally speaking, it's uh, it's quiet. Like animals generally are quiet. Animals don't want to get draw attention to themselves generally. Unless it's a mating call or something like that, generally it's you go out in nature and everything's sort of uh, placid, quiet, you know, low key. But in the uh, in these artificial environments, you have this um, it, where where it's desirable, even like people, not so much adults, I guess, but like for you know, to, to, well, no, adults too, like rock concerts and all this, where you're having your um, all your sense reality just really. Um, in full stimulation at the same time, you know, like we was, was talking about this with Jay about raves and stuff and rave culture and how they turn the music up so loud and it's, and it's really bass centered music. And it's to the point where like you can't even distinguish the notes in the music or the lyrics or anything, but it's, it's this sensation of being shaken or having the reverberation, maybe in your chest cavity or something of this, this, um, really amplified bass, so that your your senses are are all immersed in the in the in the uh, event, you know. Right, and also what they're trying to do is bypass your logical, rational mind and appeal directly to your emotional mind because you cannot um, do magic without emotion. And have you ever noticed why? So many um, children's icons are rodents. I was thinking about this. Um, you know, Mickey Mouse, you've got Bugs Bunny, you've got Chuck E. Cheese, like you mentioned, that's a rat, right? Right, and, yeah. I never this, noticed that, no. And this is a metaphor because what do they do with rodents? They test on them, right? Lab mice. And so this is a, what they're doing to humanity. When you go to Epcot or Disneyland, you are a lab rat that's being experimented on. Wow. Yeah. I never thought about that, but yeah, that totally makes sense. It, yeah. Like, it, yeah. It's always somebody, a rat or a mouse or like a or rabbit. Right. Yeah. 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 The, the main ones, the popular ones, the ones that are like kind of put out there as uh 
Yeah, the Disney mascot is a mouse. Yep. Yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, John took off. Uh, so you want to continue on, or uh, how much so longer? Well, I, I, um, I mentioned it'd be like an hour, hour and a half. So we're kind uh, of at an hour and a half right now. I mean. It's uh, up to you. If you have to go, it's fine. I can go for maybe like 15 more minutes. Then. All right. Great. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything as far as, I know you said you're working on a new book. Um, is there anything you want to go into that uh, maybe touches on that kind of a teaser for that or anything? Um, I just put out a book this year called Hollywood Mind Control. And so this is... Um, my newest one and actually Jay helped me a lot, Jay Dyer. We did it um <clears throat> in January and I have a couple good articles in here about Hollywood royalty and the old and new gods and how they have set up Hollywood to be a new religion um based on Babylonian um and Sumerian gods like from the beginning of time. Like if you go to Hollywood Highland Complex you'll see this uh, um, Babylonian um, archway that has, you know, the Sumerian Anunnaki gods on it and the Sumerian tree of life. And that's right there, right where the celebrities, you know, go for their Academy Awards, right? They walk down the red carpet and they go into the uh, Kodak Center and they have to pass by this archway. And so we talk a lot about... Um, the ancient gods like Ishtar, who is the prototype for the Whore of Babylon, which uh, Aleister Crowley is trying to invoke at this time, or, you know, the, the religion that people follow of Crowley, um, like the OTO and Jack Parsons and people in, in those clubs um, trying to invoke the Scarlet Woman. So what we talk about them using sorcery and mind control, we talk about um, the CIA in Hollywood, how they use stars and the, the CIA and FBI use scripts and um, like Jennifer Garner is uh, heavily, she was on that show Alias, right? Where she has multiple personalities and she plays all these different characters. And she also is doing um, training videos for the CIA. So it's not even like covert. It's like right there in your face. So we talk, um, yeah, about trauma-based mind control and Project Monarch and why would Miley Cyrus and Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan and Amanda Bynes and all these girls that are coming of age, why are they having these mental breakdowns and, you know, going crazy and, um, you know, because it's all part of this reintegrating of their psyche that has been fractured and then when they reach a certain age their brain is trying to repair itself and that's why they're having these breakdowns and they have to go get reprogrammed at you know uh um rehab centers are also you know hotbeds for these um psychologists who are doing the mk ultra and the mind control we talk a lot about hollywood pedophilia so that's a big deal because pedophilia is part of the the monarch program right so we talk about um, the, movie, the movie Goonies because Corey Feldman just came out with a book I think in 2012 talking about how pedophilia is like the the biggest secret in Hollywood and how um, prolific it is in there so 
I have a chapter on high profile rituals. So when you're watching like the Super Bowl or the Grammys or the um, the VMAs, they are taking elements of mystery schools and putting it out there on the stage um, as a mass initiation for the public in a in a black magic ritual. We talk about um, let's see Anton LaVey and Lady Gaga. It's got everything. Um, in the newest book, Hollywood Mind Control, I really recommend that people pick that up if they are interested in, in popular culture and, and why and where it's going. But I have um, whole chapters on Britney Spears and Beyonce's, the, the newest one that took me a long time to write because I think she's being used to channel the Scarlet Woman for the OTO. I think Jay-Z's in the OTO. Um, and she just came out with a new album called Lemonade. Um, what else we talk about? Oh, Katy Perry. So, um, before the show, this was interesting because I was doing a lot of work about the Scarlet Woman and, and Thelema and the OTO. And I said, they're putting these elements on these girls, um, trying to invoke this, uh, spirit of the Scarlet Woman. And I said, well, pretty soon they're going to have to pull out a girl riding a beast and like from the book of Revelations, right? With the seven heads and 10 crowns. You know what I'm talking about? Right. And you can see this in the movie Metropolis actually, but I'm like, well, soon enough, you're going to see them riding out on a beast. And then the next high profile ritual was the Super Bowl, And sure enough, Katy Perry comes out in a flaming dress, um, riding this, uh, lion, which is a, um, metaphor for the, the beast of revelation, um, based on Jack Parsons and, uh, L. Ron Hubbard's visions of the Scarlet Woman. So I kind of nailed it and I said it's going to look like the Lust card from Aleister Crowley's tarot deck. And sure enough, it totally did. So then we were talking about that on Clyde Lewis Ground Zero. And he said, well, what what else do you think we'll see at the Grammys? And I said, well, their hidden god is Pan. The, you know, the sexual um, taker of innocence, the the Greek god Pan which Jack Parsons would pray to Pan every time he would try and launch a rocket because of the phallic nature of rockets, right? Mm-hmm. So I said they're going to um, probably have a lot of horns in this program um, symbolizing Pan. And sure enough, that was the year that they started out with ACDC Highway to Hell and everybody put on light-up horns. And then you have Madonna, who's a high priestess in the Kabbalah and who I think is high-ranking in this situation she sings the song as a scarlet woman and she's um being danced around by these horned uh bull-like beasts with diamonds on their faces <laughs> wow so it's it's a formula that i've been following and it's not that i uh, am psychic or anything like that i'm just saying if this is true then this will be true and it keeps on coming true so there is a uh, what would you say, like a, a a progression of a or a sort of a, a a rituals that are taking place in sort of um, step fashion, where it's 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 sort of there's um, different uh, types of rituals that have to precede others, or is that kind of what's going on, or? For the public, it's called revelation of the method or externalization of the hierarchy. So it's the people that have been ruling in secret all this time. They want to rule openly. And you can 
kind of follow this story in um, OTO author Arthur C. Clarke's Childhood End when the aliens come to Earth and they can't reveal themselves in the beginning. They have to condition the people to accept them and um, be comfortable with them. And then when they finally do reveal themselves, they look exactly like your classical Satan with, you know, leathery wings and horns and a red tail. But by this time, everyone's so used to it that it's not shocking anymore. And this is the, the tiptoe that they are trying to put out into the public. So witchcraft is, um, you know, used heavily in secret, but now it's being more open. Like with Katy Perry, you have her singing at the Grammys, um, dark horse, and she's dressed like your classic witch riding on brooms and using brooms as stripper poles even. So this is just, um, a way to bring the darkness into the mainstream and, um, you know, subject people even more into the trauma and the mind control. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's becoming more and more, overt you know with all of this uh symbolism and ritual and all that where it you know if i look into any of this stuff and i just go pick i can pick up something at random basically and look at it some pop culture uh high profile uh video or something like that and it'll just be loaded with stuff that's just kind of like not not so hidden as far as a reference to something that is occultic that's very familiar as an occultic theme. Like for instance, there was uh, a video that I watched with a, I'm pretty sure it was Katy Perry. And um, so she's walking through this, uh, it's like candy land or candy, something to do with candy. And they're walking through this path and there's candy and there's cupcakes and stuff and everything is candy cupcakes. And the, and the women are wearing, you know, of course, cupcake over the breast (laughs) and all that. And, California girls. Yeah, I think that's that's that was the one. Yep. And then, like, okay, so in that context, oh yeah, what it was is like the candy canes turn into serpents, and then it's just like, wow, this is really getting really intense here, Mm -hmm. and it just it just goes on and on with it, where it's where it's these uh just just uh really just creepy. It's like, that is just creepy. And that's just, even if I'm saying, even if you don't have any familiarity with uh, occult, occult symbolism and stuff, and you're just, somebody is just out there unfamiliar with any of that. And they're just watching this. How could they not get creeped out? Right. It's like, it's just like, this is the stuff. And then you look and then it's like umpteen million views where you come to the realization that this is mass. This is this is ensconced in the mass mind on a on a a, a high level mm-hmm. at that point. One of the creepiest ones that, talking about Katy Perry, I think, is her video ET. Have you seen that one? Oh uh, no! Oh goodness, you have to watch that. So it's all about um, being taken over and having sex with an alien entity. And this is what the OTO is concerned with um, sex magic and actually invoking what they call trans Plutonian entities or, you know, demons from outer space and bringing them to earth in your body. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, why not? You know, everything. So they're making a video with these themes and these are appealing to, um, because from from what I understand, the music industry at large is essentially directed toward the demographic of like you know 
teenage girls right of a, between a certain age and and you look at some of this stuff and it's like what what teenage girl would find that appealing or not be weirded out by that but i guess as a process of conditioning that is like totally normal now to look at stuff like that yeah well it's been a slippery slope right ever since uh elvis was gyrating his hips on national tv and scandalizing people uh it's just been going downhill since there and we come to discover that these big stars are not only sort of like cult leaders but they're actually military assets that are used to um brainwash people and get them to agree with you know joining the military and and building empires and things like that yeah and then i recall a uh katie perry katie perry video of her okay the scenario let me try to remember okay she's breaking up with her boyfriend blah 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 she's upset and mm -hmm. and what does she want to do? Oh, absolutely. Join the military at that point. So she's going to join the army. Yeah, it's called part of me. Right. And so the, the female empowerment is going through boot camp and selling your soul to the army. <laughs> it's just I was watching it and I was like, this, this is this is uh, this is ridiculous on a whole new level. It's just well, not so only that. I mean, they even, you can see pictures of Katy Perry wearing a dress that is uh, shaped like a pre uh, election ballot with the Obama marked on it. And you have Jay-Z and Beyonce supporting Obama and all of these uh, pop stars, whoever the pop stars say to vote for, that's who people are going to vote for. And even the slogan, you remember Obama's... Uh, Yes, we can slogan that had all the celebrities singing this song. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Mm -hmm. Well, if you reverse that, anybody can do this. If you say yes, we can and reverse it, it actually says, thank you, Satan. And it, 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 it's not it's not like you have to strain to hear it. It's, no. it's <laughs> no, obviously, it's, thank you, you Satan. It's obviously speak so. that into your iPhone and get the app that does reverse speech and it will say clearly, thank you, Satan. How did they work this stuff out? I, I was like, okay, what is it? Oh, yes, we can. Is in the re so, yeah, and and think about that on the surface level. Like, yes, we can. How 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 trite and <laughs> just ridiculous is that as a slogan? Yes, we can. Okay. I was like, what is just so vague and so meaningless? Right, and it gets even weirder because famous Satanist Sammy Davis Jr. wrote a book called Yes, I Can. And that was back in, you know, the 60s. Sammy Davis Jr. was a Satanist? Sammy yeah. Famous Satanist. yeah. Yeah. I, don't know. I wasn't aware of that. I knew he's, uh, well, he's, Jew he's Jewish, right? Right. He was friends with Anton LaVey and part of the Church of Satan. Sammy Davis Jr. I didn't, yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that. That's, uh, I, I mean, it, it's all absolutely crazy, isn't it? I mean... So the revela or the revelation of the method or the externalization of the hierarchy is this process of just to basically telling everybody that what what Satan rules the planet and everybody should openly worship Satan 
Yes, and and what they are also trying to do is make Satan not so bad. So they're like, well, Satan represents, uh, you know, your will and um, power over weaker people and and getting what you want and carnal pleasures and, and, you know, all the good things in life. And so they're trying to spin it like Satan's the, the good guy and God is the bad punisher. Well, you listen to one of the calls where I was talking about where I went into a Masonic Lodge here in town so i'm walking downtown and i see the uh car parked outside and so i went and knocked on the door and there was somebody in there i i, I guess he might have been the bookkeeper i don't know what he's doing and i said you know, I, I just said hey you know it's like uh interested in, in freemasonry can i ask him some questions and all that and uh so i go into the uh, office there and i just start you know asking questions and you know, uh, and, I, and I just, you know, it's just very directed up front and everything. I said, yeah, you know, there's all this stuff on the Internet, stuff I've been looking to for a long time. And, then, you know, kind of bring out some different things. And mm-hmm. but it was like not even two minutes into the discussion, like this other guy shows up like he got some kind of a call or something. I don't know. It was like and he was obviously military or obviously cop. And I, said, and I asked him, I said, what are you, are you military or cop? And he said, I'm. I think he said he's military. And so, you know, I started asking him questions like, and then I came out with, um, you ever read morals and dogma three twenty one, where it says Lucifer is the light. What, is, what, is, and you know, I've, I've heard that Mason's, uh, you know, as part is their part of the program. They petition Lucifer for the light. And it's like, <laughs> what's, what's, what's going on there. And, um, they were like, um, yeah, yeah, we do that, but it's, it, Lucifer means different things to different people. And it, it doesn't mean it's like, it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, it's like, that doesn't, well, well, what does it mean? They didn't say, but it was like, they basically admitted. And see, I was kind of under their impression too, that the Masons in general don't know what they're involved in. But after that, I was like, okay, these guys aren't, I don't know. I don't get any sense that they're so high level. They're just like, I just basically just met them on the street, basically. I mean, they're there. I mean, high level, what is high level? But they knew that they petitioned Lucifer for light. And it's Lucifer, you know, it's, it's right there in Morals and Dogma 321. It says the Prince of Darkness and all that. Mm-hmm. So so are they, it just made me wonder, okay, are you're sitting, you're down here worshiping the devil. You're right around the corner from the the biggest Baptist church in town. I mean, how bizarre is all that, you know? And I, I just said, you know, yeah okay thanks for talking to me whatever and i just you know left and it was just it was very uh um i don't know it kind of it kind of just changed my perspective after that where it's like no this is uh even these guys down here so-called lower level mason they they know what they're doing it's and, and it's and do they have this uh cognitive dissonance thing or they 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 don't think that they're um actually worshiping an entity or like you said where it's this uh uh, abstract personification of something that's not really uh, perceived as a real entity it's just like their will or something like that is that is is that their idea behind it or yeah, and it's interesting you brought up Morals and Dogma because if you get the glossary to Morals and Dogma and you look up Lucifer, I think it's mentioned like many, many times that he's talking about Lucifer. And I have a quote in part two and Albert Pike is saying, Lucifer, the light bearer, 
Strange and mysterious name to give the spirit of darkness. Lucifer, the son of the morning, it is he who bears the light, and with its splendors intolerable, blinds feeble, sensual, or selfish souls, doubt it not. So he's saying right there, yes, Lucifer is this light of, um, you know, that we're worshiping through the pentagram. And so that you'll find the pentagram heavily um, in Masonic symbolism. And I actually, in the first chapter of Hollywood Mind Control, um, I'm going over the goddess Inanna. And she has a very interesting story about how she brings all the um, attributes of civilization to mankind. And she's worshipped as the morning and evening star. She is a androgynous goddess who uh, comes as male and female. And she was worshipped through cross-dressing and public sex rituals. So this is kind of like the first Lucifer character that we're seeing in the beginning of time. And she actually turns into the Scarlet Woman, Ishtar, and then the Whore of Babylon. So that's an interesting thread that I'm following right there in Hollywood Mind Control. Yeah, so it's more mainstream with Satan worship than people are even aware of. Or it's just not something that nobody talks about. And But, you know, you could point this stuff out like you're doing in your books and stuff where it's, it's obvious connections. And then you go look at it on these, you know, super, uh, halftime Super Bowl uh, shows or, you know, like you said, the rituals. And it is so blatantly obvious. Like, where are the churches at on this? You know, so they got right around the corner. They got Satan worship. They got Satan worship on TV. And it's very overt and kind of out in the open. And like you can walk in off the street and ask the dude, "Are you worship Satan?" Yeah, we worship Satan. Or no, you know, it's yeah, we ask loose for for favors or whatever they're doing. But it's not it's not what you think. It's like <laughs> it's just going on or all around you, but people well, you won't have, have a frank, open discussion about it. Then you have Gnosticism, right, which kind of reverses the roles of Lucifer and God and makes God this demiurge who created a hell world. And Lucifer was trying to help people break free of this evil uh, material form. But I agree, like, where are the churches um, when it comes to this? I think they've kind of been co-opted with this whole, like, prosperity, megachurch, purpose-driven crap that they are trying to give everyone like everything is fine. And, you know, God is here to help you become rich. And this is what, you know, religion is for is for these uh, pastors to be cult leaders and, and grow richer and richer. And they're not even battling the dark side anymore. Are they? Well, yeah, I've talked about that a lot where, um, yeah, money being, you know, this, uh, it, it, basically it's such a corruptive influence you know i even seen this in uh where i attended church i was a member of the church of christ for a long time and uh well even on it, it wasn't wasn't anything centered around prosperity gospel or anything like that but yet you could see where you had typically it, whenever i visit a church or something like that you always can uh take note or, you know, moving around a lot, it kind of, you know, changed churches uh, frequently where you get to know what's going on. And then it's like, well, there's always like one at least prominent family. And 
then of course they're the highest contributors to the plate, right? And then the indiscretions, you know, quote unquote, that they may uh, be engaged in or whatever, get overlooked when other people's indiscretions are called on the carpet. And uh, it's like, yeah, well, uh, you know, I got to thinking about all this. It's like, what, what, what institution as a whole, any institution in the system bows to money? Right. And yeah, you're right. And I think that, you know, pastors of any church are more concerned with growing their congregation than with, you know, any other kind of spiritual battle. And to do this, you're going to have to whitewash your message down to the lowest common denominator so you don't offend anybody so they don't leave and take their tithes somewhere else. Right. So you get up there hollering about the devil on TV and all that, you probably uh, offend people because they absolutely adore the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Can't really can't really slam the Super Bowl too much. Matter of fact, they, uh, you know, you'll have the big games that will be played on Sunday and then they'll make accommodations like to let church out earlier. Uh, we're going to cut the sermon short, got the game coming up or whatever. Uh, they won't maybe expressly state it, but that's what happens. And uh, yeah, I, and then I got into a discussion with a uh, visiting preacher at a gospel meeting at, at church. And then I brought up Freemasonry and, uh, it was a young preacher and he, he, uh, kind of, uh, um, gave me, a uh, you know, he, 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 he wanted to inform me that I needed to be concerned with my own sin. I didn't need to be concerned about people in the church being Freemasons. And so I, so I just flat out asked him, I said, you know, so there's members of the church that are Freemasons. And he said, Oh yeah. I said, Oh, okay. Um, what what if I would have thought of it? What I like to ask him is like, oh, so it's uh, okay if I just went ahead and told you that I'm a Scientologist? Would that be acceptable? You know, could I be a Scientologist? And he'd probably say no. But you can be a Freemasonry, which is an admitted religion, and be in that church. So it's like that's one of the re- you know one of the reasons why I, I decided to stop going is because uh, I also over uh, one of the members was giving a uh, prayer and then he 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 used the term great architect of the universe. Oh, really? In the prayer. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, I called him at his house and asked him about it. And, um, he got really uptight, like, and then basically told me, no, that doesn't have anything to do with that. But I said, yeah, that's a Masonic, uh, reference to God. You know, it's like, yeah, it's, you know, Freemasonry, but what about it? And blah, blah, blah. And like, I know more about Freemasonry than love you uh, in my little finger, you know, in your, Whole, you know, and, and it was just really, yeah, he was just really irate, and and uh, it's like, you know, I, I'm just asking about it. You know, what what's the big issue? You're you're doing it right there in church in front of everybody, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but yeah, it's they're full of it's, it's all these churches full of masons, uh, absolutely. Right, and so we were talking about um, story immersion, and you can play the Star Wars character right at the theme park. Do you remember that? Uh-huh. So masonry is another type of this uh, self-transformative psychodrama where you are playing different characters in the ritual. Not a lot of people know what goes on in these secret rituals, but if you get my book, Hollywood Mind Control, I go um, take you step-by-step step through the third degree, what they call the sublime degree in masonry, where they are actually playing the character of Hiram O'Biff and going through his story of his death and burial and resurrection. 
So this is another um, example of mystery school teachings um, that are from antiquity being brought down through the public and still affecting people today. And a lot of their ritual stuff are centered around theater. Exactly. So, yeah, the origin of drama is the um, my first chapter in Hollywood Mind Control, all about how they would... Um, well, the beginning of theater was the uh, attempt to invoke the ancient gods into a body on the stage for people to watch. Hmm. So it's kind of like a possession thing. Exactly. Well, um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, well, all right. The political sphere, I I believe, is an extension, and it comes out of directly out of Freemasonry when they put on the uh, every you know four year presidential election or and you know the midterm elections, all that. It it is theater. It is, it is role-playing. It is, uh, yeah, it's psychodrama, right. political theater. And that's what they're doing. They're, it's like there is nothing, there's no, there's no decision-making. I mean, you know, because I, I came to the awareness of this, you know, quite a while back after seeing a couple of election cycles where they, uh, you know, had supposedly a mandate for Obama while well, he's going to end the wars. And they had the midterm elections where like uh, it, it turned over to Democrat because they said they're going to defund the wars, you know, whether or not that actually was a result of people's will and going out and voting. I, I, I doubt, I don't know, but what's presented is that, and this is sort of in your face. I think this is like put in people's face where it's like you have this ritual people go through but the outcome of it is not what their the public is perceived to want like it was it was communicated through the media that it's the will of the people that we end the wars you know mm-hmm. and there was no equivocation about it as far as how that uh, that the political how, how the elections and stuff played out uh around that time it was it two no uh, I forget, but Obama, Obama's first term or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that obviously didn't happen. And I think what that does, that is a form of trauma-based mind control on a certain level of engendering sort of this uh, sense of powerlessness or sense sense of uh, uh, hopelessness or powerlessness, like where you, you, you put your, your kind of, prodded into putting forth um, a degree of effort. Like people go campaigning for these people and do all this other stuff with this certain idea in mind. And then when it is not realized, it's this, um, it's, it's this uh, uh, frustrating, uh, demoralizing process, but there's something about it that keeps people coming back over and over. Mm-hmm. Well, what I think we're at now is that politics is the play and they are revealing truth in the movies. So, you know, an election is totally a fraud, but a movie like The Matrix will uh, show you more truth than, you know, any political orientation will. 
Oh, right. Yeah. Like, you know, politics is fake and movies are real. Yeah. That's more, more truth will be communicated through fiction Mm -hmm. than supposed real life. But then on the other hand, what supposedly is real is also of a fictional narrative being played out in front of you in many instances, I think in, in, you know, with media fakery and all that, which is something I talk about too, is an extension of that. And it's a lot, I think it's a logical extension of the uh, entertainment sphere because that is more, I think world wrestling for example, is more important as a cultural shaper and driver than uh, the politics or elections on, on uh, uh, I think it's far more popular and it's far more influential over people's minds because a lot of people are, are really into that uh, much more so than even, uh, you know, politics or elections and, and, and all that. Um, that to what degree, I don't know exactly, but I, I, I but I do think these entertainment venues and stuff like that are uh, actually more important in shaping culture and uh, changing the landscape. So it's, it logically follows that there'll be events played out in the media that are just extensions of that. So that the narrative, the primary thing is that the narrative is controlled so that the, the, you know, the, victims can come on tv and they can read off of these scripts because it's yeah it's this in like we were talking about earlier you go through this uh trauma and then you're in this uh receptive state or in this uh traumatized state where you can be uh loaded with uh propaganda right and so like sandy hook or the boston bombing which is a total fake but people perceive that as real. And then you have 9-11, which happened, but it was actually a mega ritual, right? Because those numbers are satanic numbers. The numbers 9 and 11 and the, the twin towers and how it all merges into one. And so all the elements of 9-11 has esoteric meaning. So how do you think that works on a psychological level as far as how it affects the average person. Right. Well, it's all about not being able to tell fantasy from reality. And this is something that victims of trauma-based mind control have a hard time with in their disassociation is not knowing what's real and what's not. And so when you watch a movie and you think this is fake or they will put truth in a movie. And then when it comes out later, the, uh, the public will say, well, that's crazy. You just saw that in the, the movie, you know, it's not real. You're, you're saying something fictional. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that time and again too, where um, people are. Uh, well, was Jay's talking to Catherine Austin Fitz, and she brought up that uh, account of uh, she she was um, uh, trying to uh, oh god, what was it? It was something that she was um, trying to. She was trying to do, oh man, I'm drawing a blank, but I guess to make a long story short, she was relating an account of a friend that saw something on a television show and it fell in line with what she was actually directly involved in and had talked 
with her about multiple times, but until she saw it on the fictional television show, she didn't accept it as a real thing. Right. And so that's where my work comes in, um, because I'm trying to pull out the truth from the fiction and separate it and say they're present they're because uh, part of the spell or the sorcery is that they have to reveal to you um, what they're doing, even in a covert way, because they need your free will agreement. It's a, a karmic cosmic thing. And so the, if they tell you what they're doing to you and you can't do anything to stop it and you can't recognize what's going on, then they are not responsible for um, what happens to you. Well, it's like um, there, I, I, I have a hard time with that where it's like I I'm thinking how could that be uh something that is, is even uh not saying that they don't do this I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you on that but the idea that that is actually valid in any way shape or form from from just a you know social social interaction standpoint because context it's like context. You're putting something out in a certain context, mm-hmm. you know, and you're and you're 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 portraying it as entertainment. It's almost like if you were to tell someone uh, a lie, or you know, tell someone like a, a jokingly, or you're you're thinking, well, this is a, a joke, but it's actually a lie. Mm-hmm. And but what you end up doing. Now there's ways, you know, you could joke around and and then like you have no intention of deceiving that person, but you have an intention of like you know, uh, you know, prodding them or evoking a, a response. But it, it's not it's not with the intent of leaving them with a false impression or leaving them in deceived. There's that sort of thing, but then there's the context of deceit where it if if it's put into a certain context and presented a certain way it is meant to be taken a certain way that that is deliberate direct deceit so there's no really uh um true revelation right it's like this kind of uh oh, lack of it, a better word, kind of a cop out you know a, a magician trick really yeah yeah yeah, it's a lot like that. Where, um, but then you have the participants that go in it in a certain context where they know that th- this is deceit, uh, but it is presented as entertainment and it's consumed as entertainment. So right. you have all the proper context, and then nobody comes out uh, the loser on that. But then well- on this stuff, it's like it it's. Uh, you see what I'm getting at where it's like, yeah. and I remember this one performance that Lady Gaga gave at a, a VMAs or something where they throw her into a, a fame machine or some kind of, uh, you know, fire pit machine. And, and the MC is saying she's control. She's mind controlling you with her pop music. And so he just comes out and says it right there. And even though, you know, it's like tongue in cheek or whatever, they're saying the truth, but no one's going to believe it because it's in this context of entertainment. Right, because people are in the mindset that they're being entertained, mm-hmm. and 
in that context, it's kind of like if you launch into a joke, like a guy walks into a bar. Oh, you, you mean, Chris, like you're talking about you, you really walked to the bar. It's like, or no, I'm talking hypothetically, like so this is a joke. You know, you, you don't have to explain it to people. They get it. You know what I mean? But right. in but in the in the the stage setting stuff like that, it's the same thing. You're setting somebody up for in a certain context. So when they say rev when someone so when we're talking about revelation of the method, uh, they are re, I do believe they are revealing the truth, but they give them. But in order for them, they're giving themselves an out. But mm -hmm. I, what I'm saying, it's not warranted. They're really not revealing anything because they're putting it in a certain context. Right. Where they're setting setting you up not to take it as, you know, fact or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But, but yeah. I got to go soon. All right. Hey, it was a really good call. I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, hopefully you can come back. I will. Anytime. All right. Great. Um, so... Uh, do you have a uh, now? Is it jaysanalysis.com or you can uh, get get to your books, right? Yeah, you can find Hollywood Mind Control on jaysanalysis.com. Look for the big red uh, cover, and then you can find part one and two um, on freemantv.com where it says shop. All right, that sounds good. Yep. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Yeah, thank Amy. you. I mean, it was really good. Yeah, and uh, you have a good day. You too. Okay. Okay, take Bye. care.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.